Hey, Jeremy. Hey, Raphael. What's so, going on? Did you hear an echo? You're all the way across the ocean. <laughs> yeah, I guess there's more delay now. Well, I guess, yeah, there is a, despite, you know, the internet being, what is it, speed of light because it's fiber optic. Speed of light is not that fast. But I think it's speed of light interrupted by many little, like, routers. Yeah. <laughs> I, I spoke to someone who was building uh, robots for remote things like when there's a nuclear site and you have to have a robot do stuff and if you're controlling the robot let's say that you you have a you're dismantling a bomb and you have a device to control a, the robot's yeah. hands that's a typical scenario for me by the way but keep going <laughs> yeah so you're, you're controlling the robot's hands and, and let's say as a simple example you're trying to pick up a coke uh, soda can yeah. And so the robot is moving its hand and you know you get a feedback when you have it in your hand and then you know to lift it. And when there's a even half a second delay, it's very disorienting. And I spoke to an engineer and it's like, yeah, if something is seven kilometers away, there's just a delay. It doesn't matter what connection. There's just the speed of light. It's not mm -hmm. an absolute speed. Yeah, I mean, you definitely feel it in... Um, it is an absolute speed. I mean, it's not. it's not... It will never be instant. There's no way around that. Well, you certainly like, you know, you couldn't do dance that way. You'd feel very self-conscious. There's like Yeah, but the, it's the same I think for streaming games that the yeah. using AI to predict what you're going to do so they can do it ahead of even before you so then you you almost have a self-playing game that just kind of guesses what you're about to do. I love I actually find it really fascinating how you know, in, when technology interrupts like human evolution this way and we're like trying to put our finger on what's wrong and we're like and, and especially when it's time-based like down to like 100 milliseconds you know when they're like improving the apple pencil or you know samsung pencil or whatever and they're like we got it from 300 milliseconds down to yeah. 50 milliseconds it's yeah. like you it's it's like the real thing and then you try yeah. and like, There's something do you have the ipad odd. pro i do and i actually I, use the apple pencil a lot is it the one with the 120 hertz screen um you know what? I don't think it is. I think it's just before that one. No, you know what? It is. Oh, it okay. does have a 120 hertz screen. Because I always wonder if that's the kind of thing where then you go back to your phone at 60 hertz and you're like, ew. No, no, no. I mean, but I will say the at the end of the day, it's just that the pencil is like a way more natural yeah. interface for drawing. Like, it, it, like the latency matters, but what matters even more is the gesture. You know, like, of course you want it tied. Um but yeah I, I mean it really matters if you're like trying to draw curves really fast and it's the, the closer it is to what you're trying to do um mm. i think if you want to test the electronic pencil you can just draw circles really fast and see what it does yeah but you know what the the most powerful feature is the double tap undo like two finger tap undo mm. which is the standard now in most um drawing software with it with a pencil and so you draw that line like five times in five seconds, and then you're like, oh, yeah, that's the yeah. one, and you stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Regardless, but you're in uh, the Netherlands. You're back, and you just gave me a little tour Yeah, of I just flew. I just uh, arrived this morning, and uh, the flight was almost empty. I, I, it's stupid. I paid for a nicer seat at an exit row, but the, this, the whole flight was maybe 15% occupied, so you could sit wherever you wanted. Mm -hmm. so Did you lie down at any point? I tried, like, the middle aisle was completely empty, so I tried just laying down on four seats. Mm -hmm. um, but then the the seat belts have these uh, hinges that kind of stab your back, <laughs> and it wasn't so comfortable. So exactly. I went back to my three seats and sort of... I, uh, yeah, I was hoping you'd, you'd, you'd say mention that, like, because I've been on, on transatlantic flights, and I always have this fantasy that... You know, there's going to be no one next to me, and then I'm going to get to lay down, and it's going to be well, like... Well, not having someone next to you is a big deal to me. Like, that you can stretch your legs out and have your back next to you, and it, it's very yeah. relaxing that you can just get up whenever you want, and you, you, know, you, you can't feel smell like their body and everything. I, I'm sure that you would never ask... If you were in the window seat, you would never ask, can I go to the bathroom? To You, you would just be so terrified of bothering the people next to you. But I have a theory that they design coach specifically to sell first class seats and business class mm. seats. And so your thing about the seatbelts and stuff, there's no reason that they couldn't design the plane to be comfortable. You yeah. know, like even within tight space constraints. I know. Yeah. But they do it, I it's think really they mean. do it specifically to entice the business traveler because it's like, I mean, it, here's it how the conversation so far goes. As even the people 
say that they design unemployment to keep people in check, that there's no reason for unemployment. It's just that people have this feeling that they can fall off a cliff. Oh, no, that's a huge thing. You know, like, yeah. you know, capitalism requires us to, like, control labor markets in ways that make them feel lucky to have a job. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's like, what's oh, really... Oh, I get to clean up your poop. Thank you. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. Yeah. Customer service is what matters most. Um, and anyway, actually, I had someone come and do a repair in my house yesterday, and I, I was kind of, like, cranky about it. I don't know why, because <laughs> they charged me a lot. They came into my home, and they're like, first of all, like, I had there's like an estimate for them to come into the home. It's like, it's 80 bucks just for them to come into the home. Then it's like, is it more because of lockdown and the, the well, health you, risk? Yeah. You also feel nervous about that and you feel bad that they have to do that too. You're like, mm, this guy's got to wear a mask. He's coming into homes. Like, ah, anyway, but then they're like, okay, so it's going to be $400. And you're like, and they're like, do you want to accept the, you know, estimate and let me do the work or should I leave? And you're like, well, in what scenario do I ask you to leave? <laughs> <laughs> cost you 80 bucks to get in here you basically are in my home and you're, you're, you're yeah. you've got me strangled in this position and and i'm like looking up the part on the internet and he's like the part's gonna uh, be 150 variable like, pricing is so stressful ah, if you like, knew ahead of time it's like this is what it costs then you'd be fine yeah anyway i don't know why i bring it up i've just been thinking about how um yeah. you know it's labor it's capital it's all these things and like it it's also funny this idea that you feel bad about putting someone's el someone else's health at risk by they have to commute to your place and then they have to go into your home, which is a risk. And I'm in the Netherlands and no one wears a mask anywhere. Oh, really? You just you go into the department store, no one's wearing a mask. Uh, you go into the train. In the train itself, people wear masks. It's not required. Kind of reluctantly on their chin. Here it's the law. And you have to wear a mask. Yeah, but other than that, you don't have to wear it on the street or anywhere. So the... Mm. Ever since the lockdown, nobody wore masks in the Netherlands. It's funny but indoors, place. people wear masks there, you're saying? But not in stores. Oh, really? Okay, interesting. Only only in, in uh, the train and the bus. But uh, So you go into any clothing store or supermarket. Even the beginning of the lockdown, no one was uh, wearing a mask. Hmm. Yeah, I was just before we got on the call, you're like, shut up, let's save this for the podcast. And I was, yeah. I was describing sort of... You know, you, you were saying like people were excited to stay home for a little while. Yeah, that was true. And then I when actually, it was new. yeah, yeah. And I, my, I didn't hit that until a few months in. I was like, actually, it's pretty nice. I have a garden. You can watch sunsets together. You know, all this stuff. Like, I'm not at the office. I'm with Kristen. Well, in theory, it's it's like New Year's resolutions. Oh, I have two hours of commute normally, so I don't have those. So I'm gonna get super healthy. I'm gonna make juices in the morning, and I'm gonna go jogging. Yeah, I never and then that. reality sets in. But I remember you telling me like one of the hardest things of working as an artist from home was sort of the feeling of isolation and yeah. um, that you forced yourself and, and it was a good forcing function to have lunch with friends and things like that. Um, and so building like an explicit yeah, social calendar. I, I really noticed that I would be like, oh, these lunches are kind of disruptive because it, it's a big chunk of time. Mm -hmm. And then I wouldn't do it, and I would just feel very down if I didn't have social interactions. So it was very clear to me that I just felt a lot better if I saw someone during the day. Yeah, so, I mean, I've been feeling this, like, kind of buzz, like, um, it's like a stress buzz. It's like, I, I don't know how to explain it, but it's like a feeling of, like, I can't, like, every morning, it's a Groundhog Day feeling. It seems like, by the way, there's tons yeah. of movies and TV shows that are Groundhog Day inspired right now, but I watched one last night where it's about immortal people that don't die, but, like, there's that one with, um, with, uh, what's it called? With uh, Adam, um, Adam, not Adam, Adam Sandler. Sandler. No, no, the other guy. Fuck. This is like a movie podcast where I forget everything. Anyway, the point being, like... <laughs> That would be a funny podcast. Did you see that one? I can't remember the name. It's with the guy and the girl, and then yeah. they go to this place. Yeah. <laughs> that was a good movie. Yeah. But anyway, I took your advice yesterday. I went out. But I actually didn't go out to meet a friend. I just went out for the ritual of, like, sitting and, like, going to a favorite Italian sandwich shop, buying, you know, something really nice and sitting in a park. Uh, which is like it's ridiculous obviously it's the nice thing it's what you dream of doing when you have like an office job or something like that but the mental stamina required to say like yep i'm i'm going out and i'm gonna go do this pointless thing what even though i have work to do you know it's not pointless right but it's like and everyone tells you to do it but it's so re-energizing right I came yeah home. 
Yeah. And we don't often think I mean, about it, how... It, it's, I, I think about that a lot, how cultures like Spain and they have the, the three-hour uh, midday break. I don't think people sleep anymore. Maybe they used to. Right. But there is the ritual of having a break. And then the, the first answer of anyone who lives in the northern country is like, well, then everything will fall to pieces and look at their job numbers and blah, blah, blah. But it's like, what's the point of life? Is it to have everything running on time or to have a good time? Yeah. Well, I'm always, re- I always remember that my dad, he had some post-traumatic stress disorder. And so he went in for treatment and the treatment was like scanning the horizon and um, taking walks where you could scan the horizon. And there was this scientist that uncovered that like the brain naturally is less stressed if it's able to like see and scan a horizon. Yeah. I think and it's even your your the lenses of your eyes have to work more when they're looking at something close by. So yeah, I think it's relaxing for the eyes when you're at the beach or on the top of a mountain. Well, exactly. So yeah, it's weird because the stay-at-home situation. I'm like, I look to the left, there's a screen. I look to the right, there's a screen. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, it's it's bizarre because you you wake up, you look at your phone, yeah. then you get behind the laptop and. Uh, in air quotes, get stuff done, but you're mostly replying to notifications. Yeah. Then it's lunchtime. It's time for a break. So you grab some food, but you want to be entertained. So there's some YouTube on the iPad in front of you. And then at night you want to relax. So then you watch the bigger screen. And then mm-hmm. uh, and, and then before you go to bed, you read something again at like seven inches away from your face. Yeah. So I, of all your waking hours, it's probably 95%. You're staring at something closer than 40 centimeters from you. Because I've been working on this like remote strategy. I was like, we're definitely like in this new remote world. It's going to be remote only kind of thing. But I keep realizing over and over again that the body won't allow certain things to happen. And yeah. yeah. It's the same with things like panic attacks where you're like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And then the body just protests. Yeah. So I, I think that actually what we're going to find is like, it's not a prediction. I think the best way to predict, they always talk about like, you know, that guy who wrote that book, um, uh, about, um, you know, getting skin in the game. And he also wrote, uh, what's his name? Uh, God, <laughs> doing it again. But like, he, anyway, there's, there's this theory that like the best way to predict the future is to look at the past. Obviously, it's not like a theory. It's like the, it's really the only way you can think of anything forward because there's too many variables, right? And so if you want to make something that lasts too as an artist, right? It's like you should make, you should look at, you know, what art um, lasted 100 years ago, not a, not try and predict what art will last 100 years from now. But um, if you were to, like, look back, you know, 20, 30 years, we've probably gone through this, like, remote debate a bunch of times, like, with the telephone and everything. And Well, and, I, I definitely, when the internet first started, I thought the world would become, small cities would become more important. Yeah, right. So we say the same thing over and over again. And then, we're surprised when that doesn't happen, right? My mom referred to it as like cottage industry, which I, I it was funny. My mom is like a, a funny person, but a good intellectual at times. Like her prediction was that like this doesn't make any sense because from an industrial standpoint, even like even if you're trying to think of it as ec- the economic potential, you're basically saying when she says cottage industry, it's like everyone is going to do their like potatoes or like sew their garment and then send it into the larger garment distribution head office, right? Um, And that doesn't make any sense. Like, it it is actually theoretically a revolution in autonomy, but only if the worker is, like, working for themselves. But then, ultimately, like, we're not working on farms, like, harvesting potatoes. We're doing work that requires, like, collaboration. (laughs) And... um, and collaboration is something that's so misunderstood, right? It's but it, it it's it's very cute this idea of being sustainable and everybody specializing in their own little thing. Yeah. The weird thing is it doesn't work for software. Somehow software works better when everyone uses the same software. So it's not like everyone is building their own little Google Docs. Oh my god. We're right now we're spanning Zoom and Hangouts at work and it's just like <laughs> It's so because they're like Zoom Pro accounts are too expensive. Hangouts is cheaper, and but you know then there's certain things that Zoom can do that Hangouts can't, and so people are like, I can't not use Zoom anyway. Then people mm. are these forty minute meeting limits. How much is a Zoom Pro account? I don't even know. I think it's like twenty bucks a month. It's 
Yeah. You know, it's like the weirdest thing to cost cut during a pandemic too. You're just like, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I'm trying to figure out a segue to this week's movie, um, which in a way is about, I mean, it's an innocent childhood movie. It's about childhood to a certain extent. I know you said it's about Shinto religion, but we're going to get into it. Um, Ultimately, though, it's like it is a childhood free of screens that's depicted um, and the one that that's full of imagination. Yeah. It, it seems very much like in the line of movies like Toy Story or a lot mm. of Swedish children's shows that I've seen. I think there are countless examples of shows where children can see something that adults cannot see. Mm-hmm. So the movie yeah, is, um, should we just mention, the movie is Spirited Away. Yeah. Um, which is the Studio Ghibli film. For those of you not aware, that's a yeah. animation studio in Japan. And the director is um, Hayao Miyazaki. Yeah. I probably mispronounced that. The hardest working man in animation. He famously retired three, what, in 2016, but then, or 2013, and then he, he, he got bored. He came back to work in 2016. And yeah, why would you retire movie. if you have a fun job? Well, I think apparently he's a bit of a Steve Jobs. Like he gets very angry uh, and stressed about the quality of work. So um, he's a demanding kind of auteur in the animation space. Some compared to like we are in the in the world of podcasts, we're very demanding. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) He's compared to like early Disney, right? But like the difference between Disney and Studio Ghibli is Studio Ghibli is two co-founded by like two Disney people. Um, and Disney famous, you know, became more of like an industrial kind of commercial, uh, enterprise where the auteur, like Disney's voice was lost and it's more just like production staff. Right. But studio yeah, Ghibli it's is still, like Marvel. yeah, where studio Ghibli is still based on this idea of one person's idea. And I think spirited away as a movie g- gives you an idea of what's possible if you just let one person's imagination run yeah. wild. So, shall we, uh, introduce the movie a bit yeah yeah so yeah so there's a a little girl named chihiro and uh they're in she's in a car with her parents they're moving right to a new apartment yeah that's right and she's kind of confused i remember moving as a child it's very confusing Mm -hmm. i didn't uh, i've never moved but yeah yeah i remember moving from amsterdam to the hague when i was five and got in the truck and i fell asleep and the next day i woke up in a new house that was completely broken it was like a fixer upper so i just woke up in this weird uh, punk looking uh, grimy room and i'm like where am i what the fuck was that with your painter dad with the um yeah with my mom but it, it was just uh, the yeah. house was fine it just needed a lot of work but it's it's funny when you fall asleep in one city and you wake up in the other it's like as a child it's like time travel or you wake <laughs> up in another dimension totally but so they're, they're driving around uh, they're going and they want to stop at this monument so they want to have a look and they go inside this corridor and they get drawn they smell some food and they start eating the food and then through magic they turn into pigs because they're so the parents do yeah the parents do and the child like as this example like it's the type of movie where children can see more are more perceptive are more aware and in a way they're smarter than the grown-ups they 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 see through tricks. The, the the parents are persuaded by the temptations of uh, greed and gluttony and this uh, excess of free food. And they did. They're not supposed to eat it, but they just start eating. Mm-hmm. And they get punished for their greed, so they get turned into pigs. And then Chihiro has to sort of. There's this magical uh, inn, like a. Well, it's an it's a it's a bathhouse, an onsen, right? like a bathhouse and a, and a hotel sort of combination. Potentially, and a all these magical creatures are there, that, and she has to find a job so she can stay there and f- finally uh, help her parents get back to humanity. Um, but the only way she gets helped by someone who's also trapped there. I think it's a classical story of good people being trapped by witches, mm-hmm. uh, or sort of like an evil overlord of a magical oh, the, empire the baba baba yaga yeah yeah the and, old uh, woman who's also a bird <laughs> yeah but she has a classic disney uh witch with like a big nose and warts and huge head yeah like her head but like anyway she she, she finds out the only way she can uh, save her parents is by doing all these odd jobs in the onsen in mm. the bathhouse 
Yeah, I think one of the weird things about the premise of the film is this little girl is imprisoned in a bathhouse slash, you could go as far as to say it's like a brothel. Um, And then like all of these gods kind of come into the bathhouse looking to get cleaned. And these gods are all like fat and like disgusting and smelly. And she has to like serve them. Um, Except she refuses to serve one of them. Yeah, for some reason she is the perfect being. She's never really judgmental of anything she always sees the positive side and she's always empathic and uh, she's the perfect she, child prostitute <laughs> like th- th- <laughs> you said it i didn't but, no, uh, but it's, it's in the film and, and, and that that was one of my critiques of the movie I, I like i don't trust people who are selfless i just think it's inhuman so mm. when someone is like we got to help the poor, we got to help women, we got to help people of all the minority backgrounds, and they're not of any of those. I'm like, why are you doing this? Like, I understand. It's, it's very hard for me to truly believe that someone wants to always help others and never themselves. Well, but- she's like terrified throughout this film. I think one of the th- things that the film does really well, so she, you know, let's just imagine that she's somewhere between a child prostitute and an innocent child that stumbled across a bath. <laughs> Um, but like no doubt like the stress that she carries throughout the film is extremely high and she has this you know kind of cool dude Haku who comes and like helps her along but there's one scene where she sits down like after she's finally like kind of made it through this gauntlet of washing men and she sits down and um she's like able to eat for the first time this is like a small innocent moment where she's a little piece of uh, onigiri yeah, like a like a rice ball of some kind, and yeah. um, and she breaks down crying. <laughs> yeah. It's really beautiful, and not the kind of thing you would ever find in a Disney movie. Like uh, everything, hopefully we set up right until now is like. I have a so little bizarre. story of my first Disney movie that I saw. The first time I went to the movies, uh, it's something with the cauldron. I, I don't remember the, the the title exactly, but oh, my mom is using the blender. Mm, it sounds like she's peeing. Yeah, <laughs> no, it doesn't. It, it was a weird do. era where all the He-Man movies and there were these heavy metal cartoons. I don't know if you remember those, but it was like a, yeah. an era of very adult animation and things were kind of dark. With the, do you know, remember Conan the Barbarian? And yeah, kind of, of course. Atmosphere? Yeah, yeah. I mean that. So, but that that yeah, sure, go for it. And Disney was too cutesy, so they had to compete. So they made this weird uh, Magic Cauldron movie, which was kind of like a He-Man Conan type of movie. And my mom was like, oh, you're five years old. Let's go to the movies. And it was the most terrifying movie with the skulls and whatever. And I ran out the theater crying. But uh, Well, I think there are tons of warnings for kids not to watch this film because it's extremely scary. Kristen was sharing with me that she, as a child, she did see this film because it came out in 2001. So she was still pretty okay. young. Yeah. And but she remembered not being able to handle it because of the no face character. So there's this like Yeah, but no it's face also monster it's constant terrifying. stress. It's a bit like um uh what's the Adam Sandler movie we reviewed? Uh, <laughs> oh, Uncut Gems. Uncut Gems. Like, Versus the Andy like Sandberg stress movie. Upon stress upon thinking. stress. You're like, "No, don't go in that. No, don't do that. Oh, yeah. oh no, no, no." I was thinking of the Andy Sandberg movie earlier, Palm Springs, by the way. Um, okay, yeah. So, yeah, you're right. It's constant stress. and But the thing that I think carries the whole, you know, makes it all worth it um, is that, for me anyway, I don't know how you felt, but, like, there's this um, exquisite corpse-like feel, this, like, nut, like, there's a lack of logic to the whole thing that yeah. eventually... Yeah you kind of get like spirited away or carried away with like anything's possible. And there's so little that's explained to you. And it's also exquisitely drawn. And it's so beautiful. Yeah. Like it, but in any moment you're like, what are they going to do next? Three heads that are bouncing around. Sure. The heads become, you know, the, the, the big witch. crying baby. Yeah. That's oh, yeah. Became a big crying baby. Yeah, sure. That makes sense. Oh, you know, like the Baba Yaga is going to turn into a bird and you know, whatever it was. I like, mean, that is also the excitement of, of uh, stepping into another culture because I, I think uh, mm. there's nothing wrong with Star Wars and Marvel movies but if you just see it all the time after a while you know everything that's going to happen I actually think this so, is closer to Star Wars than it would be to a Marvel movie in so much as like in a Star Wars movie Hero's Journey? No, no, just in a Star Wars movie sometimes they like they just throw an oddball curve, like a curveball at you that doesn't make sense within the logic yeah. of the world you know? 
But I, yeah. I do think overall, any American movie, you, you've been so saturated with the, yeah. the, the technique of building stories that you always know, like, okay, there's going to be an introduction, the characters are a little insecure, they're going to yeah. face a challenge, the challenge seems insurmountable, then they get help from someone you didn't expect, and then they make a good decision, and then everybody's happy. But you know that That's, game, yeah, this reminded me of, you know that game when you were a kid, and you, like, someone draw, you draw like a, a blob on a page, and then you ask someone, or you challenge yourself to make it into something? It mm-hmm. feels very much like it's always responding to itself in a loop, where you're like, you know, it's so inventive. And I, I, and I felt that when I saw it, and then I just watched an interview with Miyazaki, or I just saw some, like, some texts from an interview and he was saying how he forced himself while making this movie, but a lot of most of his work not to the appeal for an, to have logic and to have things make sense is it's one way of working, but he's like, it's for me, it's much more um, interesting and even like um, meaningful to take the leap into the land of the illogical yeah. and to, yeah work with the subconscious instead well, that, of conscious. That is interesting as, as the premise when we were talking about Disney and uh, corporate structures. Mm-hmm. That the one thing corporations don't like is uncertainty. Well, yeah, and Fantasia, I think, is a good example within Disney that's probably close to the spirit of this film. Yeah. Where, yeah. You, know, act- you know, abstract expressionist kind of ideals made their way into the film. And so you have this idea of, a, you know, a film that carries itself forward like a musical score where... Yes, there's structure yeah. to music, and I don't want to deny that, but, but there also is, there's improvisation. Yeah. There's one interesting thing that I always liked about animation, is that for technical reasons and for budget reasons, you needed the outline around a character. Mm, yeah, right. right? So, so you, it's very hard to make animation, let's say, just with uh, dropping paint like Jackson Pollock, and then that the next frame would be logical and the next frame. So you need some kind of solidity or clarity. And if you look at the history of, of Japanese printmaking, which is, was their main visual two-dimensional, they didn't have so much of a history of painting coming from the blob. They thought more from the line. Mm. So if, if you think along with me and if you think of the Great Wave or famous yeah, woodblock prints like those, they're, all, they're colorful, but they're also drawing. So they're somewhere between painting and drawing. Mm. And they have mm. that, that outline feeling that you have in animation. And so Japan has a very logical uh, cadence from thousands of years ago up until manual animation and up until video games. Uh, to me, th- there's a very clear line in thinking diagrammatically and thinking in lines and thinking... They, they always thought in a reduction of imagery. When you mm-hmm. think of woodblock prints, it's a bit like Adobe Illustrator, where you can have an outline to a shape and then you can fill it with a gradient or a solid. Yeah, and that those are kind of your options. And when you think of early animation, you you had a character like Mickey Mouse with an outline, and then the pants can be red, and but not mm-hmm. too many options. And now um, we've gone much further with technology, and the sky's the limit, and you can have very fuzzy, dreamy, blobby animation. So mm-hmm. it is interesting that you mentioned the blob because to me, one of the things I love about animation is that it's it's not blob driven it's not like a Monet Hmm. it's more uh, diagrammatic and I think that was a big inspiration for post-impressionists like Van Gogh that they saw this clarity in the visual language of Japan and I still feel this clarity in 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 spirited away even though that it's blob based and like a lot of the shapes are amorphous and like like the the monsters seem to have no skeleton they're more floating like a ghost yeah they're still uh, contained in an outline yeah that's true i mean though there are those um the spirits within the movie that are the kind of semi-transparent and they're almost like watercolor on the on the can on the canvas which is odd and then the backgrounds like i'm thinking of that that scene where the ship with all of that near the beginning of the film Mm. where all the gods get off of the little yeah the the way they animated the water is very interesting it's very painterly in a weird yeah. like it, it combines both styles i mean if we're going to get into the art direction of the film it's like yeah or when she's running through the palace some of the backgrounds in this film i haven't seen and this there, there's detail. also a little bit of cg or the way they must have uh, used computers to animate the the three-dimensional structure and then draw on top of that because there are perspective things that you could not have mm. done without you think so i mean i don't know like i know that um 
Miyazaki is do you like remember, tried, do you remember tried Beauty making and one three D movie. The yeah, animation. I do remember. Yeah, yeah. And there's that, was, that scene with the chandelier and like a ballroom, and it, it was definitely rendered. It's rotating in three D. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was rendered. I think, um, and and well, of course, like we should mention, even Snow White, you go all the way back. There was rotoscoping, and so yeah. they would yeah. film the they would do a film, and then they would like draw over top of the film to create the yeah. But that always it, 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 uh, that always is considered a little bit of a cop out. Like if you're true master animator that's kind of frowned upon mm-hmm. maybe but not anymore but, no, back it's in an the day, but it's interesting right because the reference to something real versus like completely conjured from the mind is what i'm saying like this film feels conjured from the mind more than any yeah yeah other but if, film if, if you think of snow white if you can picture snow white in, in your head the seven dwarves are very lively there's a lot of gags of uh just how how they move and how bouncy they are and how stretchy and Snow White mm-hmm. herself seems to be mostly rotoscoped mm-hmm. and is more realistic and is the most boring character right. visually for that reason. No yeah, one like, thinks of, of of Disney animation and thinks of the movement of Snow White. You think of the movement of Bambi stepping on ice for the first time, and like that's very interesting, just purely from an animation perspective. But the way Snow White moves is kind of boring. It's funny, too, because it's like kind of a McLuhan thing where, you know, incapable of imagining what's possible with a new media, the first thing we do is try and recreate the previous media. So it's yeah. like animation yeah. will look like film. Um, you know, like I know that uh, Miyazaki tried making a 3D film a few years ago. He created a short film, which you can't really find online. It's like only available in a museum of a caterpillar. Um, but the new movie he's making apparently is he's gone back to hand drawing. He's like, fuck this digital shit, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> and it takes, um, like, so one it's minute also interesting, of film, but one, it's we should mention it takes one minute of animation a, takes a month. Right. So, yeah, but it's interesting now that, uh, the world, let's say that production at some point is fully automated. What, what are humans going to do? And they might go back to things that are very laborious and like, okay, Amazon's warehouse runs fully automated, so why don't we just draw animation frames and make something very lively? We've got to do something with our time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting, like the handcraft. But when I think of like a, like a single minute of film taking a month, like is it possible? This is where I think it's just like just as a thought experiment. It's like, is it possible that to be sub to use the subconscious or to be like um, creative in the way that? Uh, he suggests, which is to say, like, I try not to be logical while I'm working with a li- huge labor force that, w- and it takes a tremendous amount of time. So each frame, you know, it, in, yeah. one mi- in one minute, you're going to get 30 frames, 24 it frames. It sounds right? like so- conceptual art where you, you set up a premise and then from that premise, you want to be as precise as possible and follow the idea. Mm-hmm. Like, let's say the, the murals of Solowit and you're like, okay, let's draw a spiral across this whole church. And, you have to execute the start point and the end point, and it has to be very. But when you think about it, the whole premise is illogical. But then once you step into the the dream the of that idea, yeah. then you have to follow the rules. So if you if you're like, well, we're gonna there's gonna be heads with our bodies that are bumping around and mumbling. There's nothing logical about it. But then you execute it as precisely. That Dali was always known for. Uh, bringing photorealism to the idea of dreams. So before yeah. that. A dream was always rendered kind of fuzzy, and then Hitchcock used Dali in one of his films, and he said what he found genius of Dali is that when you think of dreams, they're often nightmarish, and they might feel crystal clear in your head. They're actually very clear, so that the the more precise you render them, the more nightmarish they are. Hmm. Yeah, it's just, it's kind of a remarkable thing, um, just to imagine that... um, well, obviously, too, we should mention there's a lot of Shintoist or like mythological references. And I say Shintoist because yeah. like Japan ex- has its own religion or did. And I guess and it multiple, still exists, yeah. you know, which was, it, which was completely separate from the rest of the world. Right. Shintoism. Yeah. And, and I don't know much about it other than that. I've seen a lot of the imagery because I go see exhibitions of woodblock uh, printing. So I'm coming at it more from a visual Mm -hmm. art historical perspective than from a religious perspective but i just know that there's so many books with weird creatures so it's not like all these weird creatures in the movie came out of nowhere yeah but when i think of religions i often think of you know a group of people 
seeking to understand <laughs> seeking the to get your money well no no i think of no actually i've become le- less and less critical of religion over the course okay. of my life and now i realize that if you put a group of people on a let's say on a bizarre island let's call it you know let, let, it, obviously earth like some place that's unexplained and it might as well be like an you know uh, like 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 a, a television show where they're trying to seek the understanding of how do we end up on this abandoned island what are these mysteries they start you start to build stories it's actually a PR premise too, like just to make this capitalist for a second. But like, <laughs> if you don't tell people a story, the rule in PR is they'll make one up for you. Mm. Um, and you know, right now in America, there's like weird stories, like QAnon. You know, is that even how you pronounce it? But I guess so. Like, uh, where you know the story of like the Democrats and Hollywood conspiring to be are are like child molesting Satanists. Is one that like even Trump hints at supporting, right? Yeah, and then and there was and a congressional Epstein kind candidate. Of proves it. Yeah, and exactly, and so people have, you know, build this you know narrative around what they perceive and that they cannot explain because this the explanation, which would be that you know there's like a structural racism or structural capitalism that's like crushing and and it's not very well designed, it's actually like poorly designed, and it's the absence of design that results in these outcomes. Like your airplane seats is so hard for people to grasp that it's better to create a false logic. And, yeah, um, it, it is It is sometimes you see the news and it's so much terrible stuff, and you're like, this can't be real. Things can't be that bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, ultimately, like religion can be beautiful that way, though, too, which is like, Here's this thing, you know, because it's not a science versus religion thing. I think it's, you know, and if you look at indigenous cultures and Shintoism was like indigenous Japanese, you're thinking like, okay. Well, it goes make- back to the, the Iceland, the, the elves in the, <laughs> in the Eurovision movie. <laughs> Eurovision movie. But ultimately, it's kind of a beautiful thing for them to create a world that they understand and partake in and the ritual of religion ends up being the ritual of we've all come to just agree. Yeah, but it's also this weird. Is how it works. It, it's it's like at what point is it a fun story and at what point is it like oh we're going to make a set of rules that dictates and controls a large group of people yeah i mean i think that's like, like all po- you know power corrupts absolutely right so yeah so it's like star wars is it pretty fun <clears throat> and then once people take it too seriously and they're like oh you're a child you should always dress like uh, obi-wan because <laughs> like, <laughs> like imagine tomorrow though like miyazaki and like george lucas both start churches I mean, and this did happen in Hollywood, you know, d- the like, Scientology. Yeah, Hub- Hubbard was like, you know what? I'm going to go beyond the page. <laughs> I'm going to build an institution around. Well, also, this. you get a huge tax break, <laughs> and I'll get a tax break. But that's like auteur religion, right? In a way. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm I think so carried away with it, the, what's her the name? Logic. Sarah Silverman had this whole bit about Scientology and how weird or bonkers it is, but. Um, Christianity is just as weird. It's just older. We're just familiar with it. Mm. Yeah, and I guess like I'm, I'm not. I haven't made up my mind about like it's actually great to have all these different versions of reality coexisting. Um, and maybe though I'm like colonial about it because I'm like I like like you said earlier. I like to travel. I like to see what other religions have thought. You know, makes sense. How is that colonial? Because I'm just like picking and choosing what I like from all of them. Like I like the aesthetic of this. Like, I don't temple. think you're colonizing when you're saying that. But, but, <laughs> well, I'm like picking it up maybe for like a ornament in my house or something like that. Okay, in that sense. Yeah. <clears throat> um, like a design cue. Like I think the fashion industry has well, gotten maybe, itself into problems. Maybe that, all the time. that does like the excitement of seeing this movie. Of course, it's a it's a very strong, well done movie, but it's also very exotic to you. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, can you remember your first trip about exploring f- uh, uh, new things? Like your first trip to Japan, can you remember it? Oh yeah, like, yeah, for sure. It, is it was it anything? Like yeah, just tell us a little bit about well, it. Because I had I, mine just a couple of years ago or a year ago. Yeah, well, the, the thing with Japan was that I had a lot of Japanese friends already, and I was like, I gotta go to Japan. I gotta go to Japan, and I didn't have the right reason. And then I applied for a residency, and I thought that would be the best way. So it was three months there but I remember the first two weeks I just couldn't absorb anything because it was so different like you, yeah. you try to remember the name of a train station and that takes you all day just to remember that name yeah and it, it, it there's a, uh, a book by Stanislav Lem where he's 
describe someone who comes out of cryo freezing and wakes up 200 years later and then how that person experiences the world that is so foreign that he you can't perceive things because they're so foreign so yeah i've been trying to put my finger on we keep coming back to it's like we we go america italy japan <laughs> or <laughs> europe america japan but like across the spectrum because my first visit to japan is exactly as you described it it was like Kristen and I had a certain amount of stress about it because that so much was new. We we're like, what do we do here? What do we do that? What's this? We well, one of the, the things that's stressful when it's a short trip is that a lot of people give you recommendations and you want to do them all. And, <laughs> yeah, it's a huge city. And then back then, um, country, Google Maps right? didn't, didn't work yeah. there when I was there. So was, even just finding something took a whole day. Yeah, so we took like three, we took three hours to, to find a bar and it was like, because we were like, and I, I had pictures of it, you know, like I was trying to compare and look at the space and I had the internet. It was still hard. It's still hard there. But um, the weird thing is, is when you try to find stuff in Tokyo, you're stressed. And if you just walk around, you find the most amazing. Totally, stuff. totally. So that's what we did most of the time. Um, and it's a, it's in that sense, it's weird because it's a, a city without a clear center. So it's not like you move, walk away from the center and it gets more and more boring. Totally. Yeah. And and the other thing is it's safe everywhere. So it's not you walk the wrong block and then you're going to run into trouble. I've never been any in any other city. And we sh- I, I, we should have said we're talking about Tokyo, not j- like Japan as a whole. But like in any city where it felt like I could walk for like a whole week and just like uncover and like down weird alleyways. They w- yeah, I, I, it was just it just goes on and on and on. Yeah, yeah. it's incredible. I have yeah. to travel and, more, and then, but like it's definitely one of the funny out. things is you'll you'll walk around and you'll find something and then you forget to write it down and you'll never find it again your whole life. Like, <laughs> Man, that place was amazing. Nobody knew. Yeah. yeah, and there'd just be these like little stores, and they would have things that were so inventive or that you'd never. I don't know. I guess it's just it was like I, everything I, was like that. I think one of the things that the the European cities are always around the church and the market square, and then they expand from there. So mm-hmm, it's very mm-hmm. clear where the center is. And in my experience, Asian cities have many small centers, and each center has a lot of people that are very busy with one thing. And y- you felt that in these movies. Like, oh, you, you go mm. into the area where they're doing, washing the towels, and then you go into the area where they're preparing the food, and then you mm-hmm. go into the area where they're... Uh, preparing the herbs for the baths. And they're and stacked on top so, of each other. That's the other thing, right? Like Yeah, but it has this, this bizarre feeling where yeah. you're walking around and there's all these specialized areas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it definitely felt that way. And also, like, I think the verticality of it, you know, w- it really felt like mm. that was apparent. You know, that something's on yeah. the third floor, fourth floor, which is very much how Tokyo is organized as well. Like, it's not a flat space. It's a, you have to think of it more no. as like... Um, almost like a body with, you know, veins at different levels and things like that. But um, it's, it's, it's Toronto. There's a lot of uh, Asian Im- immigrants. There's yeah, yeah. other areas that feel like that, where there's multiple levels of restaurants. <clears throat> um, well, we have a British high street model. So there's actually very few areas of commercial, great commercial density. So it'll be like high okay. street, then, you know, residential. But there are a few little neighborhoods. Like, What do you mean by high street? High Street will be like Commercial Street, and then behind the Commercial Street are homes. So it's very oh, similar. Okay. Simil- it's more similar to a, a European model. What What American city feels like Toronto to you? Mm-hmm. Or what European city? I mean, it, it's cl- it, it would be like because um, I've never been. Yeah, I mean, ugh, like. Portland. Does it feel more it, German or more English? Um, it feels a little bit more English, but it, it's like closer to probably. It's really hard to describe because it's not like any of those cities. Um, it's probably closer to to something like um, Berlin, but not really because there's not the density at all. No, it's not like that at all. It really is okay. like it's just. Its own thing. It's a Canadian style city, though, so I should be okay. able to describe I have to come. it. But Port, you know, Portland would be like an example of like a city America hypes up, and I can yeah. remember going there, and be like, "This is a tiny version of Toronto." Mm. Um, and so there's a like it's a very grassroots kind of city, but then there's a huge business district. Maybe Frankfurt or Hamburg. Hamburg is is it a lot of bicycles? <clears throat> um, 
There is, yeah, there is now uh, for sure. Yeah. Not to the same extent yet as Europe, but way more than the U.S. Like that's where I say the Portland thing's a joke to me because are you are you doing a lot of biking? Well, if I was going anywhere, I would, but no, yeah. I'm not. Like <laughs> it's funny, I never heard you talk about bikes, and I did hear you talk about the Cybertruck. Yeah, the thing is. So here you can bike the city. That's the best way to get around. And that's been true. I've been biking in the city since I was like 15 years old. But most where I live now, I walk, I can walk to anything. Okay. So similar to you in New York, like I've positioned myself so that I don't really have to get on public transportation. Like it's, I'm, I'm privileged in that way. I can even walk to the airport, you know, if I, if flying was. Oh, wow. Um, So yeah, everything's pretty accessible. Yeah. But uh, I mean, I think getting back to, Japan and verticality and ultimately like this film, you know, leveraging religion, but also having like kind of a thinly veiled critique of capitalism built in because the parents become are lured in by this like indulgence of food and eating and just like, and there's that stinky monster that, that was like a, a symbol of, of the environmental pollution. Yeah, exactly. And then like, there's all this gold that, um, the faceless character is like, bribing people to do horrible things with and and this child ignores the well, gold over and over again that that's where I, I just didn't connect with the movie so there's a there's a faceless monster and she lets the monster into the onsen you're not supposed to let him in nobody likes the monster but this she is like a bad repu- this monster has a bad reputation right? yeah he messes everything up he eats everything up he eats people Everyone's scared of him. But at first they think he's like a high roller and they're super attracted to him because he gives out this like free gold. But she kind of sees through his bad behavior and says the the character, the being is not bad. It's just responding to the environment. So we have to take it out of this environment and then it'll be a good creature. Mm -hmm. And there was something to me about her being so good that it was annoying. Like Nobody's that good. (laughs) Like somebody's just eating everything, killing everything. And you're like... Oh no, he's not bad. He's just in the wrong place. She's very innocent. Yeah, she's I, not even innocent. Like if you're innocent, you just would kind of go away in the corner. She's like actively seeing, seeing through people, and she's like a, a life coach or something. <laughs> I just thought it as like this was all coming at her, and like I said earlier, she's kind of absorbing it as stress, and she's like all she can do is kind of go along with it because she's. She doesn't know what to do. It's like completely unfamiliar circumstances, similar to yeah. what we were describing. But she's also unbribable. If people try to bribe her, and she's just not interested. Well, I go back to my visit to Tokyo, and it's like. But I'm, there's not even a conflict. Like the the monster offers her gold and and yeah. uh, tickets and food and whatever. That's true. And she's not even interested. So it's, I guess she's just a symbol. She's not really a character. Yeah, I think she, I loved our our like an, our Tokyo analogy because I remember in the last day I was leaving, and there was a big monsoon the night before and i didn't even know there was a monsoon right like and so i had to get to the airport but all the trains were closed um kristen and i had to and you know in our pursuit to find a way to the airport so much stress was coming at us but somehow like we still made it and we made it with you know lots of time through really bizarre like one thing led to another and it's like once you're kind of in it no matter how foreign the context we have yeah. this amazing ability to both absorb and persevere. And if I had, if someone had told me this is how you're going to get to the airport when you leave, I would never, you know, you never would have gone or even, you'd been like so stressed you wouldn't have slept the night before, right? Yeah. Um, and so I think there's this, what I was saying earlier. There which is, is like, an innocence in Japan also, yeah. But also just like surfing this subconscious, you know, riff yeah. that, that Miyazaki's putting out there. He's like, look, there's a tidal wave, but you're like, you're surfing it. Like you're on it and you'll be fine. But there's a... I remember someone told me, oh, there's this legendary place that has the most amazing cream puffs, like a pastry filled with whipped cream. Mm -hmm. So we try to find it, and I go, every department store has a food basement, which basically looks like the Miyazaki film, where uh, if you're in Tokyo, you should go in the food basements of the department stores, because it's the most beautiful, ornate food, very visually, very beautifully presented. And also like mazes, you could spend a whole day down there. Yeah. And you, you get free samples everywhere. You really don't have to spend anything, and everybody seems to be fine with it. <laughs> and uh, they sell like the world's most expensive fruit that's decorated with gold <laughs> leaves. And, it's, it's, it's very entertaining. So I go to this bakery, and I said, I'm looking for this other bakery. So I know in an American bakery, they would just spit in your face for asking about a competitor, <laughs> you know, and then try to sell you something. But the, the, the woman is like, oh, yeah, I know where it is. 
and she wants to point me in the direction. So I'm already surprised that she's pointing me in the direction of her competitor. Mm. But then she starts walking, and we're walking for like 10, 15 minutes to bring her, to bring me to her competitor. <laughs> and the longer we walked, I started feeling really guilty. I'm like, I'm sorry, I want to give you money for helping me. She said, no, 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 it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. Yeah. And so that attitude is uh, was very foreign to me. Yeah, yeah. So I, no, I, I'm, 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 I'm making fun of America, but in the Netherlands. But I guess like nobody, my point. Nobody on, would walk 15 minutes to bring you to. The I agree, but like a child would expect that you know that, that imagine you were a child and someone a parent was like found you lost. You know they would probably do that to find your parent. Like I think this film ultimately is this child navigating this strange. It's a coming of age story again, yet again, but in a way where. You know, your imagination is challenged, and stress is coming at you, you're trying to make sense of the world, and then at the end of the day, you figure it out and you do the right thing. I know you're right, like, she does it based on these, like, Puritan values and where did she get those, but I think the argument would be we're born with those values and then they're kind of stripped away through, um, at least the film's um, argument. You know? I'm not so sure if, do you think uh, a one-year-old is selfish or is... Well, totally. There's a survivalism there with, around the selfishness. Maybe that doesn't make sense. I think for you have to learn to share. I, I don't. Yeah. I think that's one of the things uh, that it helps to have but siblings. And I heard that people Miz who grow up without siblings have a hard time sharing. So I heard I Miyazaki actually had your opinion, which is like he was like kids these days. They don't respect <laughs> their parents, <laughs> and they don't like they don't um, they have no gratitude. And so he was like making this film to demonstrate like that okay. children could be different like this is a role model child anyway yeah, just, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah think think of that trend of uh on youtube they have these children influencers that just unwrap toys and they <laughs> go on shopping sprees have you seen those no that's i gotta look that up it's it's a whole genre of just uh, kids either unwrapping toys or kids going into a store with unlimited budget and buying whatever they want and so if you put a kid with the youtube app they'll end up with those videos and just watch that. And it's just like greed montage for 45 minute <laughs> sessions infinitely. That's it's funny. Really, I mean, when I was yeah. a kid, there were these movies like that would come out like home alone and things like this where, or like there was one, I remember, I can't remember what it was called, but the kid like had unlimited, like a blank. It was kind of, it was called blank check actually. Yeah. He, so he had unlimited <laughs> money. Um, yeah. And these, this was such a fantasy as a child. It's like, like MTV like, cribs for adults. Well, as a child, like children. the idea of full control, I think that's why video games are so popular among kids because it gives you, you know, whatever life you can attain within, you know, a, a small, you, like you, you can't imagine a life 40 years ahead. So it gives you a small no. little container to experiment in where you I, can. I wonder if kids would understand the trade off because when you're a kid, your only power is to ask your parents. And there's no other economic power that you have. There's another kind of power. But if you. What? There's another kind of power, though, the kids use. Yeah, yeah. But, but so as a child, if you want something, you have to go through your parents. But then if you tell the child, okay, you have two options in life. You're going to have your parents take care of you. You can't have everything, but you won't ever have to work. Mm -hmm. Or you're going to be in an office all day, and then you can buy whatever you want. Yeah, but I think there's a third option that children actually end up choosing, like, which is like, you know what? I don't need anything. I'm going to use my imagination to figure to create something. Yeah. At least that's what I did. No, no, but I'm talking about the trajectory of life because the mm. the natural trajectory of life is to uh, gain economic power so you will be safe, and then because your job is so stressful, you compensate with with indulgences or clothing or fashion yeah. or but, expensive food or vacation, whatever, because that's sort of. I think a lot of these movies where the child sees through the adult world, mm. a lot of them are also sort of a comment on creativity and being an artist. I agree. And being free. I agree. Because yeah. I was about to say, like, um, it's a know, trade off. Like, time, time is a trade off. That's but you and I both saying. had parents that encouraged us to take completely illogical steps. Like, my parents were yeah. disappointed when I took a job with economic freedom because I was giving up some creative freedom. Um, yeah. And that's the opposite of most people's lived experiences because, you know, parents want you to be safe and like independent and not poor, obviously. Um, but you like to be nurtured into a life like we have been where it was like, no, you know, whatever you feel like doing, like, just go do that. And you're very, you know, we love you and you're really creative and you should really make sure that like you don't but lose the, your creativity. The weird thing is, is that it, it might be the most 
economically sane decision because now everything's so flexible and disposable and employees can be fired at any time that being your own brand and your own boss and your own creativity is is your own source that it might be the safest option it might be yeah like and then you have to be okay to maybe have it not work out like not find a following that's the other huge risk like you know built into it is the yeah but I, i still think if you choose a creative path and you end up not working as an artist at whatever job you have and you've you've uh uh trained that muscle that it's useful in many contexts of course yeah no i mean i found that many many times over and it's yeah um you know when you find someone else that's gone through that upbringing i was talking to Kristen about this yesterday because i was like you know what like i just like every year of my life i feel so grateful that i had an art education and then I, and I, we've talked about the education being kind of shitty um but what i realized was like because it's so expensive like it, for me it wasn't expensive but what was remarkable about an art education versus other educations I've received since then and during that time was there was, it was completely self-guided <laughs> and mm. like the whole premise of going to class was like so what are you going to research today and then like people responding to my research being like your research sucks and that or wow that's really interesting so it was this like inquiry-based learning model which is like you know, in fashion, especially with online learning right now, because no one wants to sit on a Zoom call, you know, watching a lecture, um, because there's no interaction, there's no learning that happens when you're just like consuming, and we already consume so much in our lives, now we're adding this additional level of consumption to our day jobs and our learning environments. But in the movie, she's kind of thrown into a hierarchical job structure. Yeah, She she has to go to the Uber boss in the basement and beg him for a job, and... Uh, and then she has to take any job that comes along and then she starts to do better and better. It's weird though that this job thing's baked into the movie, you're right, because so much of the movie is about her imagination and then it's really in conflict or contrast with this idea that she has to get any job and then the Baba Yaga has some bizarre contract where she has to give anyone who asks a job. It's almost like (laughs) there's this bizarre like... Government. It's like a loophole piece. because she's pure evil, but then there's this this law that she has to respect. Like, and the, where did the law come from? Like, some sort of like uh, Shinto government <laughs> law or yeah. something? It's like, anyway, it's very uh, or the bathhouse government law. The, the, like, the movie does seem to appreciate the idea of hard work. Yeah, that's right, and I think that's coming like the, back the to the people that, that come to the piece. onsen to relax are sort of shown as as. Uh, greedy well, the, and bad and the and the workers are not all of them not compass i mean the river spirit right he was yeah. just he was corrupted by capitalism like and, and consumerism you remember she like yeah. pulls the trash out of him but I, yeah. I think you're right that there's like that's a conflict inherent in the film is like you know these gods have been either corrupted or are pure and you know will will uh chihiro also stay pure like that's the tension throughout the film and then but the job thing is interesting you're right yeah she ends up working for the spider man who is based on like um i think he's based on a spider creature from shinto mythology or something but there's a bunch there's just so many little touches i i I think everyone should go out and watch it like the little coal little spirits that carry the coal like the sprites and the coal is super heavy it doesn't look heavy but it is i love that yeah you're like it really challenges like what you're seeing on screen it's like viscerally um because you're like oh i can't make this assumption that these spirits are weak i have to assume now that they're very strong it's definitely a movie when you think uh everything is moving all the time Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's it's not one of those movies where you have two characters and only their lips are moving to save money. <laughs> this is more like everything is in motion all the time. And I think that's why it takes a month to do one minute or to do 24 frames. Yeah. Like, so they're yeah, it's one like the opposite of South Park. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. True. <laughs> like, it's the most yeah. considerate film that is unconscious that I think I've seen. Um, anyway, it was my second time watching. I really enjoyed it a second time yeah. around. I, I do remember talking to a Japanese friend about South Park. And they're like, and this she is just trash. thought that <laughs> she just thought it was such a dark outlook on life. Like she couldn't enjoy it as as fun because it was just so dismissive of everything, and it seems like there's no hope. Mm. So when you think of this movie, ideologically, it's quite far from South Park, where South Park really doesn't take anything seriously and everything's stupid. And 
Right. This is like, no, we believe in the good of mankind. Well, if this film really is anti-consumerist. Like, she's the opposite of Cartman. Let's put it that way. Well, here's a question. Like, were there ever toys sold for this movie? Like, that would seem like a gross contradiction. <laughs> we, like, get your, mm. get your... Well, one thing I know is that the, like, no-face character did the rounds, like, on every Halloween, like, at work. Or, there's someone... And if you look up online, like that character really captured people's imaginations in a way that you wouldn't yeah. fully expect. So that's kind of like entered that, at least. The character from the movie Scream kind of looks like the No Face character. Mm. I mean, he's kind of wearing that this mask. mask that's similar to like a Japanese theater mask of some kind, or yeah, like um, yeah, you know what I'm talking about? Those like kind of white masks. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Is he's an interesting character? We could probably do a whole podcast just talking about him. Because he's ne- yeah. he actually doesn't say anything. There's no words, like just, <laughs> just behaviors. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, we haven't done any horror movies. No, you're or right. Yeah. No. Yeah, it's not, what? not really my thing, but. Uh, I, there was like a, a horror movie I almost watched last night, like a Russian horror space movie called Sputnik. Um, I like horror in space for some reason, mm. like. Because if you think about space again, it's just like this movie. It's like the unknown, and so your imagination. Like alien, well, movie? yeah, yeah, like your imagination can fill in huge gulfs like of logic because you're like, well, I've never been to space. I guess that's possible. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's what they do out there. That movie Interstellar kind of leverages that idea of a gulf of knowledge to create a you know a sphere of imagination or a world yeah. that's full of imagination with using and I think string theory. And quantum physics have are the equivalent in science. We're like, we can't explain this. Yeah, sure, like this quantum entanglement. Like, yeah, you change the bit here and it changes light years away. It breaks the speed of light. Yeah, whatever. It makes sense because it's strength theory. You know, like... <laughs> sure, I understand it. <laughs> yeah, sure. yeah, multidimensional. Yeah, it's a... Um, yeah. Anyway, I digress a little bit. We're on the hour. Yeah. You're, you've now not slept in 48 hours, so you've been incredible. You've done like... You you told me that like the best way to get over jet lag is to work. <laughs> it's like yeah. oh yeah cool. I think so. Um, so what's the, the rest best of your way day? to get through life is to work? Yeah. What's the rest of your day like now? What do you do? You have a print appointment? Like you often go to the printers and yeah yeah no it's it's I'm gonna have dinner with my parents and then uh, we're probably mm. gonna go for a walk in the evening because it's nice weather. Well, you're in a lovely neighborhood by the yeah. by the water. Um, enjoy your, your yeah. time there. Things are good. Yeah, do you have any other plans? I mean, obviously you have a new dog we haven't talked about on the podcast, but you've left that behind. No more tears. Yeah. <laughs> well, Christina's taking care of the dog now. And then uh, Soda. we're going to France with my family, with my parents and my sister and her new son who's six months old. Raphael. So I get to spend some time with the baby because I haven't uh, seen him so much. Baby Raphael. I saw him a little bit and uh, yeah. That's exciting. So I'm looking forward to that. And you're going to go to the south of France, or where are you going in France? No, Normandy. I guess, oh, uh, Normandy. My parents are thinking of getting a little vacation home there. Really? Uh, Great seafood. Although now all the Parisians started buying homes there because they're sick of apartment life in lockdown. Is it? Like so I've, been, I've, I've actually been to Normandy. Have you, been, have you been before? No, I haven't. What I remember is it's like I went at a bad time of the year, first of all. It was like December or something. But it's not, like, it was bombed out, so it's not the pretty, like, it's not like Paris at all, from what I remember. Though there are some, like, a few older structures. We're going to some area that's almost like a national park with big forests. Oh, cool. But I I remember there being just incredible oysters, so if you like oysters. I'm having oysters tonight, I'm going to go out for oysters. Like, I miss oysters, it's like, I miss social Well, that's what I'm talking about in this movie and in general. It's just so ironic when you think you have to eat. Mm-hmm. If you don't eat, you die. So why wouldn't you make the best of it? Oh my goodness, yeah. Well, an oyster, I always say, is like travel in a meal because you can taste the oceans all over the world just, just yeah. in a few minutes. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to just going to France or Italy or Japan. It's just, uh, I always think, like, why Why isn't... Th- this idea, that, especially in the Netherlands, that seeing food as a problem that has to be fixed as quick as possible mm-hmm. and just fill the stomach and leave and uh, yeah. <laughs> well yeah i mean yeah. i guess you'll still have some like um i mean i wouldn't say dutch food's great like uh, just like to set the record but you're going to you're going to france so like you have to indulge yeah. while you're there no but th- there are some things in the netherlands that i like and there's a good smoked fish and things like oh, that oh yeah for but, sure uh, uh, just as a culture as a whole that this sort of uh 
Protestant idea that enjoyment is suspicious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it'd be really fun for us to do, I think, is take a European trip together. We haven't, you know, we've only yeah. been in Europe. We've been in Europe together, but we've actually never hung out. Like, well, you, when, you have an office in Amsterdam now with your company. Yeah. But yeah, you but haven't been. We've got to take time off. That's the, yeah, new, but that's the, the new mantra. The world is so <laughs> upside down now. You're not even allowed to go to Europe, I think. I know. Well, we won't let Europeans into Canada right now. They're pretty upset about it. Um, yeah. yeah. One of these days. <laughs> Yeah, I can't. I can go. I, ironically, I can go to the UK, the one place I don't want to go. <laughs> I'm a British citizen. Yeah, uh, I definitely do not want to go there. Yeah, that passport is worth a lot less now. Yeah, man. I, yeah, that, thinking of depreciating assets. That's like one that. <laughs> yeah, it's a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Okay. Well, it's lovely to talk to you. Get some rest. Um, yeah. Thank you for we listening, won't, we won't everybody. Spoil, we won't spoil the next movie, but I think you have some ideas that could be fun. Um, yeah. you can watch Spirited Away, at least in Canada, on Netflix and Europe, I think as well. If not, did you figure out? Yeah, in the U.S. Stuff? In the U.S. it was a little tricky. I had to, I think I had to buy it for 10 bucks. I couldn't rent it, but hmm. it's weird. worth it. I, I think, I think. It's on HBO Max. As a conclusion, I don't think it's my type of story because there's not a lot of, uh, sort of twist to the characters. They're kind of, everybody's either good or bad. No violence though. I mean, a little bit. They ate people. No, that that is nice. But as far as um, <laughs> as you were saying, the the imagination and the the craft of the anim- animation and the amount of movement and imagination, animation and imagination. That's what's good. It's, right. it's all there. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, thanks, you everyone, for listening. Keep sending uh, your notes for recommendations in. And we didn't talk about music at all. I know. I'm sorry, Anton, but. Uh, <laughs> get get back to music we'll do a musical yeah Yeah. Um, thanks everyone for listening talk to you again soon okay bye 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 Stop!